Hey you guys, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you turning in today. Uh, today's episode I had on Joseph Coker. I've known Joe for a couple of years. He is um, here in Charleston. He does jujitsu for children. He also does stand-up comedy. Um, he had his podcast a couple of years ago. And he was actually one of the original people to help me out with uh podcasting when I first started this a couple of years ago. So shout out to Joe. You can check out his website, josephcoker.net. That's C-O-K-E-R. I'll put that down in the show notes. He has a couple of shows uh, coming up that you can um, listen to. We'll hear it at the end of this podcast. I want to thank Joe for coming on. I want to thank you guys for listening. Hope you'll enjoy it. Here it is. Jiu Jitsu Joe on the podcast today. It's not my name for the record, but yeah. <laughs> Joseph Coker. Uh, yeah, yeah, you got, got me. You got me. Right? No, you got it. You got it. Yeah. Uh, right on, man. That's pretty. That's pretty good. First can I call time. you Jiu Jitsu Joe? You can, and you're, you can save me in your phone as Jiu Jitsu Joe. I like that. That man. sounds like what people do. Because it's Yoga Joe and yeah. Jiu Jitsu Joe. Yeah, joining forces. People don't realize we're wearing leather jackets at match right now, just to <laughs> for the visual content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so you clue you guys in there. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you having uh, coming on, man. Of course, coming man. Out here, happy to be here, man. Uh, full circle too, because you were one of the uh, people back in the day who really helped me out with uh, with podcasting. And, oh, that's funny. And gave me like the um, kind of the four one one and 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 the recommendation to get a certain amount of episodes and started. Oh in. yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think of it? What do you what do you what do you make of podcasting so far? Do you enjoy it? Yeah, that's what I want to talk to you about. Like podcasting and like the art of it has been like really cool and interesting to yeah. to. It's it's natural for us to like sit down and, and talk with people, but yet today nowadays with just like phones and technology it's been like a, a lost camaraderie yeah um so it's been Convers- a conversation the conversation yeah yeah it's a lost skill yeah yeah that skill man and yeah. the flow of it yes well it's tough though because a lot of people are very boring that's <laughs> kind of and also i on you know like i think people's attention spans are shrinking and a lot of people make that sound like a moral failure but honestly the world is busier now and so if you don't have if you if you can't handle like a bunch of cook, you know cooking pots at the same time you will get left behind in certain contexts you know so it's like you need to be able to have a short attention span like kind of a fast twitch muscle but then if you don't have that longer game then you can't really have a good life because a lot of the more meaningful things in life require a longer you know session so to speak you know mm-hmm. Plus, with our attention spans, exactly, it's so difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, getting to know someone too, which is I'm excited to get to know you more, even though yeah. we've known each other for years. Yeah. But what's it's like cool, and interesting is like getting to know someone over like that long period of time as well. You can really dive deeper into conversations and ideas. Yeah, you know, I, I remember when I had my podcast. Like, I, I after a while, I just started booking people that I really liked. But I was, we were never going to hang out because we were just too busy. You know what I mean? Like they got stuff going on. I got stuff going. They got a kid, whatever. But I still wanted to just hear what, what they did with their time and how they lived their life because there's always some kind of wisdom to glean from people that you, res- you respect people for a reason, you know, even if you're not even really sure what the reason is, you know. And did you always get something out of it? 
I mean, when I chose like that, I did, but not every episode was really profound. We did some, I did some garbage episodes because sometimes you're also just trying to make content, you know? And so like, and also at least in the comedy world, the minute you have a podcast, every person in the world is like, hey, man, hey, can I get on that podcast? Right. I mean, like people who've never done comedy in their life were trying to get on this podcast about comedy and it's like. It, it's, it's it's just a self-awareness thing people just don't realize you know and podcasts have changed comedy so much they have right Com- comics owe a lot to podcasts you know and and honestly i don't really i don't really know what people should do with podcasts in the comedy world i think pretty much in every other world it makes sense to have a podcast because just why not you know but in the comedy world it's so saturated everybody that's a comic has a podcast because it's a way to just share more of who you are, and it takes more to get people's come back to the attention span thing. Yeah, it takes more messages to get through to people. Like in the old days, you just drive by a sign, and you're like, "Oh my God, the fair's coming to town." You know what I mean? But nowadays, you have to hear something over and over and over and over again. You know, so podcasting makes sense, I guess. But with the comedy thing, it's hard to find a fresh angle. You know, um, my friend Dan Lamort, uh, he's a really talented New York comic. He has a podcast and they record it sitting on crates in his dad's shop. Like, like his dad's like, um, oh God, what's the term in New York for like a uh, bodega? Yeah. Bodega. They just like sit in a corner and <laughs> record it on crates. Yeah. <laughs> like Jane that. Silent Bob. Yeah, I, I guess so. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Yeah, the, the art of the podcast too has been really cool to explore. And I think the hardest challenge of it has just been like honestly the scheduling of it with people's lives. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, I totally think that. Yeah, it's hard, man. People are busy. You know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, but once once you make that time and like it's set, uh, it's been a lot of fun for me. Mm. So that's been like my two year journey with podcasts. Uh, but man, you were doing this back in the day, right? <laughs> I, I remember a time when I was the only person in Charleston that had a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody wanted to come on here. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that was it. I just was an early adopter or whatever, which is just hilarious. So when was that? And uh, kind of like describe it. Like what did you use and what was like your setup? And, and like. Well, it's funny because in the beginning, I, I um, it was actually a music podcast at first because I was a songwriter and I, I, I get, I don't know if it's, is it like a Marine? Like if you're once a songwriter, always a songwriter, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Probably not. But like my, my, my thought is that I used to write all the time. And if you put me in a room for an hour, I could write a song. It might not be a great song that day, but I could always produce something. And so I started doing this podcast where I would just do that. I would just in real time create something out of nothing. And, um, and I just thought it was kind of an interesting conceptual thing. And so you were recording a process. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Just so how long would it com- be? Like, like, like an hour. An it's been an hour of me just kind of reaching for it and it, you could kind of hear it come together. And are you for listeners like, um, you, were you walking people through and like kind of like, see that would be saying that would, that would have been very smart, but I, <laughs> <laughs> so you're like writing while it's recording. Well, like I was just like kind of phrasing things and catching it and replaying it. Honestly, I, I like, it was, I just had never seen somebody do that. And I was like, that's kind of an interesting idea. Yeah. But then after a while, it just felt really self-indulgent and, and like it was all about me. And I realized that I, I would much rather talk to somebody else. And so I had my first guest on, which is this uh, guy named Joseph Dubay. He's a musician. And then he played some songs. And I was like, this is so much more fun. You know, and so I basically made it my ambition to become like low rent Joe Rogan. <laughs> just like <laughs> Charleston, <laughs> shitty Joe Rogan or whatever. And um, 
So I did that, and my gear got progressively better over time. Got better microphones, and and kind of like learned a little bit more. The biggest thing though for me is is making it. I would make it, and I'd send it to somebody else to make it better, like audio wise, because I just I do not have the attention span to learn how to you know change the levels. I just I would the people side of things is always the most the best part to me. I love the people side of anything. The mechanics of something are just could not be bothered. And that's just how I've always been. And so it's like that with podcasting. But and you have that duality yeah. in the world, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, but towards the end, I started to really find my way with it. And I started to interview people that I, I, I would kind of reach beyond my social network. So I got to interview um, Prince's bass player, Ida Nielsen. Oh, she's, wow. a, she's a Danish bass player. And I can't believe they they must have thought I was bigger than I was because like I can't believe I got through like the gatekeeper and like the manager and they're like yeah we can book you blah blah, blah. I was like I was like they don't know I'm a nobody <laughs> but um, Edith was really nice to me and it was a cool interview and um, yeah it was it was really cool and I got to interview uh, one of the guys from Journey um, wait was it Journey it was some other like hair rock band and they and that dude was so corny man he was just like obvious like I was on a schedule of 200 interviews he's got to do and he was just saying cliche things and were these you know. people that were just coming through Charleston and you just happened to link up with yeah well that one was through the city paper and so they like I don't know man they, they wanted to I don't know they, they, they needed somebody to interview them and then I, there I was um Actually, one of the coolest interviews I ever did was, uh, are you familiar with Abandoned America? Uh-uh. Abandoned America is this guy. A lot of people do this, but this guy's kind of like the OG of it. He goes into um, derelict buildings of, of various types and photographs them in stunning detail. And so uh, he, he wrote a book called Abandoned America, Dismantling the Dream, which I think is just an amazing poetic title. Yeah. And so he'll go into like uh, movie theaters or churches or office buildings or factories that have been that have been closed for 30, 40, 50 years. And then he photographs them and he tries to find these really human elements in these very industrial settings. And it's gorgeous and it's amazing work. And so I did an interview with him and that was that was one of the coolest things ever. Wow. And you got so much of these different ranges of people too. Yeah. Like you started out with like musicians, well, comics, yeah, photographers. And I, you know, with this podcast, talking yoga, you know, I, that's like the the niche as a yoga teacher. You know, like we'll we'll end up talking about yoga and maybe finding like similarities between like our, our different practices. Absolutely, like yoga, and even I want to talk about like comedy because you know, yeah, of course, you're a stand up comic. Yep. Um, but with with the uh, with going back to the the podcast and and stuff. You know, when you're getting all these people and finding all these different ranges, how would you go about like preparing? Like, were you interviewing or for me, podcast is like, you know, I want to be, I want to have questions. I want to ask you questions and be curious, but also like that human element, uh, element of just, also I just want to talk and just yeah. have a natural conversation too. How would you go about that? I mean, honestly, I think that is the talent of it is, is, is how do you make because if you don't prepare enough, you'll look like an idiot. And if you don't, uh, but if you over-prepare, then it seems like a medical exam. Right. It's just like question, <laughs> answer, question, answer. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, neither one is interesting. And I would always do enough prep work to where if it wasn't clicking, I, I would have something to say or ask. But I would rather just kind of let it go on a tangent. You know, and so I, I and just let the conversation go where it goes. I, I definitely have some kind of ADD, ADHD type 
brain. And so for me, that's my go-to. I, I seldom run out of things to say. <laughs> so like, but um, that being said, you, you also want to kind of hone in a conversation, especially with comics, man. Like, God, comics just will meander and get weird if you let them. So you got to kind of rein them in like a wild horse to make sure they're not just like, man, graveyards. Huh? <laughs> so, Well, their art is talking, too, in front of people. And also being very honest and also talking about things that other people don't always want to talk about or have never really thought about. And like that's what makes comedy funny is the uh, vulnerability of it. Yeah. I have such an appreciation for stand-up. Like, I love it so much. Um, Me too. I, I've loved it for years. Like, what, going back to your, your start, uh, what were some of your favorite uh, comedians when you were growing up? And how did that transition to you to, uh, you know, start stand-up? You know, I think my uh, earliest comedy kind of memories are like, are probably family really? things. Like my, I have, I have, I'm the young four of five kids, and my older siblings, in their own way, were all very funny. And my my oldest brother was very funny. My next brother, Jonathan, super funny in more of like a like a sarcastic way, you know. And so we we're, I, I think. Anytime, anybody who grows up with siblings, there's always a competitive nature. You're, you're kind of trying to get attention, whatever. So I think that sense of comedy is one built in there. But actually, the first comic I think I ever saw in my life was a, uh, a Christian comic. I, I was raised pretty religious, and I became I was religious from 15 to 27. I was very religious. And um, this guy's name was Mike Warnke. And um, he later was exposed as like a mega, mega fraud. Like he claimed that he was a Satanist and he got saved out of like, he was like a high Satanist priest and drank people's blood and shit. And I'm like, yeah. Um, and this was coming out in the, his stand-up? Like, no, he, he was like two separate things. He was wow. like, he kind of would do a stand-up and then that was like his testimony or whatever. Yeah. And then it just came out that it's all a lie. <laughs> it's just all, he just made all of it up. But his stand-up was really, really funny. Wow. You know? Um, and it's, it's it, I think, I remember just seeing like a tape of it and just thinking it was hilarious. You know, so I, I like sometimes like I I still don't know why I do stand up. Like I understand, I have found a part of myself doing stand up, and that's why I stay in it because I think part of my brain has always been finding things and trying to make them work and trying to make somebody else feel good through making them work, and that to me is what comedy is. But like when I look back at my life, sometimes I see little clues about like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was being kind of weird there, but that's probably because I was trying to be funny or you know like. That's why I liked that person so much, or that's why I didn't like that person. That's why that relationship didn't work out because they didn't get this part of me, you know, whatever. Well, we all got our own inner weirdness. And yes, yeah. But comics, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they they talk about each other on podcasts and, and out that all the time. Oh yeah. But I heard something about um, a comic, and you kind of touched on it, where you just you're finding something out in the world and. You're like you were motioning your hands like this and trying to like like a puzzle piece. Yeah. I describe it, but it's just like finding something that is like wrong or off in the world. All right, let's like talk about bring that up and try and are you fixing it up on stage or are you just just trying to find the humor in it too? That's a, that's a good question. I I, I think uh, I think it's it's a a lot of things. A, any comic who's for real, they will say almost anything to get a laugh <laughs> whether they believe it or not whether it's true or not well yeah i mean like like 
because getting a laugh is very improbable and it's very hard. Like if you and I are hanging out and one of us says something funny, there is no pressure for it to be funny and so it's easy to be funny. But if I stood on your fireplace mantle and said, everybody, 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 listen to me for five minutes while I entertain you with jokes, you better be like, oh, this better be funny. You know what I mean? Because like the expectation is now that it has to be funny. And it's people's times, right? Like, oh, okay, now I have to pay attention to you. Like, like yeah. what is it? Right? Yeah, and most people, comedy is done mostly like into the wind. You know, it's done against people who are indifferent and do not care that you're there. And so, like, so it's hard to make anybody laugh, you know. So, like, anybody, anything anyone does, as long as it's not, like, hurtful or, like, too lame, I don't care, like, like where any joke comes from. But I guess everyone has different sources for their material. And, like, um, I don't know, like, I've been thinking about this a lot. Bruce Springsteen, when he got inducted to the Hall of Fame... He picked up a guitar and he played the couple verses of the song that we gotta get out of this place. This is the last thing we ever do, that song. And he just played a couple verses of it and he said, this song is every song I've ever written. And I thought that was so beautiful because I think in comedy it's like that too. We probably have two, three, four subjects. And five, I've done comedy for five years now. All of my jokes could probably be, you know, call treed back to like three or four subjects and things about me. Really? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Wow. With, with a couple variations here and there, but you know, you just, because it's a lot about your identity and it's a lot about your worldview. You know, so um, and it's a lot about your your traumas too. Like a lot of time, like I remember I went through a really bad breakup a while ago, and I was in so much pain. The only thing that made it better was to, to joke about it. Right. Even though it wasn't funny, I was like really upset. But the funny thing is, is that if you tell a story, and then in, 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 if you're telling a story and it's supposed to be funny to the crowd, they will kind of show you where the humor was in the story, you know. And then, and then, in a weird way, that helps you get out of your own narrative a little bit and helps you put it to bed faster. Mm-hmm. So, in, in a strange comedy, should not be your therapy, but in a strange way, it can be therapeutic. I think it is. Yeah, and I think it's like that for the people listening to it, and that's why we all like it. Is that if you've been through a hard time. And you hear somebody else talk about that hard time and find a joke about it. It's like, oh, man, it makes you feel less alone, I guess. Yeah. That's so interesting. You said with those like two, three uh, topics, you said you, you've touched in your five years. Yep. Doing stand up. Five years, yeah. I would guess one of them. And plus, that, you know, I, I read your bio on, <laughs> on your site. So religion. And also yeah. you brought in your, you know, you mentioned that before. In your oh, absolutely. Childhood. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, religion, sex my weirdo kind of experiences in my 20, like I, I was very like, I was so religious. I got married like as a virgin to a girl who was also a virgin. We did the whole triple crown of like Southern Christian Jesus culture kind of thing. And so like, that's such a weird background to come from. And I, I don't regret any of it. Like I, I'm glad I was married. I'm glad for the person I was married to. I'm, I, I, I don't, I regret zero of my experiences because they've brought me where I am. Right. You know, I learned a lot from all of them, but it's also hilarious. <laughs> it's like, it's so silly. When you just think the two things like religion and sex, yeah, there's so much you could probably get into. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. But because they're, they are, um, at times warring forces, mm. you know, uh, and most of the time unnecessarily, you know? And so I came from kind of a background of repression about those things and misunderstanding. 
and then you kind of get you get off on your own, and then you're just like, all right, well, let me find out what I think is real and what I think is true, and then you just kind of meander, and then you kind of, and you learn some lessons, and and you kind of start to you start to kind of fashion your own morality, I guess. And to the old religious part of me, that is a terrifying thing to say. But honestly, that's what we're all doing all the time, even if you are religious. Not every religious person thinks the same. They they have some large uniformities. You know, but they everybody is a little bit lenient on some things that another person's hard on and hard on things other people are lenient on. So it creates this uh tension oh, yes. all the time too. Yes. And when you're on stage you're like you're creating a little bit of tension too, right? Like the things that you're bringing up, do you feel like that uh everyone's like butt kind of like <laughs> a little bit? Yeah, no, I, I think there are I think there definitely are, are moments like that, but the skill is to make uh, make things funny and if you start in your story even if it's a bad story like even if it's like something that you're actually like like the thing with the breakup even if it's something you're not actually happy about if it's your story people have to respect it like um, I was at the open mic uh, a while back and this dude got up and, and like he, he was obviously a, like a beginner in stand-up and I think everybody should try to do stand-up at least a couple times just to get a feel for it and understand it. And it's one of those things we consume a lot. So to be a part of the other side of it is very instructive. And all of his jokes kind of started with like, this kind of group sucks, that kind of group sucks. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. But to do that well, you have to be very funny. And it's a much better place to start with like, well, why, why do you suck? Because I can obviously tell you suck, but I can also tell that you don't know what you suck. You think you're the arbiter of good taste. Right. And and he, he, of course, didn't do well. And even if he would have started with reasons why he sucked, he might not have done well. But, like, comedy is, is a uh, it's a self-awareness game. You know, and the people that are the funniest are the ones that can hear themselves. They know what they look like. They know what they come across, how they come across. Like... I know this person who's very religious and she wanted to do stand up for the first time. So she's like blowing up my phone about it. And uh and she is huge. She's real big and fat. And she looks like 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 a soup can fat. Like just kind of like a big thick like which I don't care. Good for her. Be whoever you are. Right. But she was going to go on stage and she was like, "Man, my first joke's going to be like, I know what y'all are thinking. I got red hair." And I'm like, that is not what everybody's thinking. Everybody's thinking you're 50 and you're huge. And like, it's fine. But the fact that you can't realize that that's the first thing people see about you shows me how not aware of yourself you are. I thought that was pretty good though, because is that kind of like a, uh, in the comic, like a misdirect? That is not what she was trying to do. She, she wasn't going for that. It would be funny if she was like, I know what you guys are thinking. Man, that lady's very rich. You know, <laughs> like, or like, like, if it was like more like pronounced what it was. But it was, that's not what she was doing, and it was just weird. And, and, and like, the more I talked to her, the more I realized that, like, some people just want to just feel what it feels like. And there's nothing wrong with that, and you should. It's like jumping out of a plane emotionally. But other people, I like, want to get good. And if you want to get good, you have to be listening. Comedy and the stand-up, in a weird way, it's a talking art, but it's a listening art. You're going to be watching it all times to see how people interpret what you're saying and if you need to change gears or if you need to push a little bit more or if they weren't listening to your setup of your joke. So you might need to double it a little bit just so they can connect it, you know? So I think plus the repetitions, right? Like I've been so obsessed with the repetitions of anything. Um, and that's how I like learn and get better at a yoga pose or even 
just the repetition of teaching a class. Absolutely. And just going over and over. So like when a joke, you know, doesn't doesn't work or anything, you're like doing an additional rep and just finding like a different word or, or arranging something, right? Absolutely. And honestly, that is the hardest part. Yeah. My my first two years in comedy was just me riffing all the time. Really? <laughs> would you write? I know you're a writer, but you write stuff. Down I would I would it? write stuff down, man, but it was so loose. Like I, I would do uh I would do like probably twenty percent of material and eighty percent just fishing in the room to just try to like connect or something, make a crowd work thing and and I would do medi I would do mediocre with spurts of just murdering. Every now and then I would just catch the wind and I would just catch the funny thing and it'd be really funny. But to but comedy is a written art too. And so you have to you have to learn to write duplicatable, Xeroxable jokes. Because if I saw you doing crowd work and just killing a room, that's cool. But I don't know that you could do that every night. You know, very few people can do that every night. But if you tell me a funny joke that um, that can be repeated over and over and over again, I can book you anywhere because I know that that joke is more or less funny. Is not gonna like like make somebody try to fist fight you in the bar and you know whatever. And so I don't know. That's so cool when you catch that wind, like you said, it's yeah. just magic. Uh, I, that's honestly that's my favorite thing in the world is to just do crowd work when it goes well. That is, it is a high like no one under like you have to feel it to understand it. So what what is that man? When it's like that special moment where just like things are sinking. I think of it as a flow state. Yes. And that's that was actually, this is one of the things I wrote down because I want to talk to you about um, the state of flow. Um, in yoga practice, it's vinyasa flow. Yeah. And vinyasa what is means, it, What does that mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah right. So vinyasa is a type of yoga practice, um, and it's more explorative on like the movement part of, the, of, of yoga, so connecting the different yoga poses together. So in a vinyasa class, you might move a little bit quicker compared to like a gentle class or compared to a yin yoga class, which yin yoga is like the opposite. Your hold poses for like four, five, six minutes. So vinyasa flow to me is going into that state of flow, connecting with your breath, connecting with the movement and syncing the two together. And when you're able to do that, it's such a beautiful um, feeling, obviously, because like our body wants to move and flow. It's kind of like it's kind of like surfing or riding a wave or something like that. But another thing I've been obsessed with is like that getting, tapping into that flow state all the time. Like it's not just in yoga. I would imagine it's like in this, in the art of comedy, right? Where you have to, you're improvising a little bit, right? You have to go yeah. with the flow. Um, but also leads into a little bit of like jujitsu and Absolutely. like your jujitsu work. So what, what to you is that flow state? Um, where can you do it? How can you tap into it? What is it? Well, to, I, I, I think I understand what you're talking about. But to me, I wish you could be in the flow state all the time. I, I imagine that some people are, but I think... I don't think you can be. Yeah. Because then, then it wouldn't be a flow state, right, if you were just living in it. Yeah. It's like the Mario star. You know, like, it's like once you kind of got it, you can do anything, but you, you just don't get it that often. But I do think that you can become so skilled at something that even if you don't get the euphoria of this effortless feeling that I'm just doing this, not thinking about it, you can become so good at something that it's kind of the same difference. You know, like once somebody is so like 
there's some jujitsu guys that are so good. They're just they're untouchably good. I was, there's a guy named Hodger Gracie. I was watching him. He's kind of like a like a previous generation's you know the Michael Jordan of jujitsu from like let's say ten years ago, and just watching him perform, he's just just unbeatable. Just like you can't touch him. He's making the best jujitsu athletes in the world look like children. And those know? those listening and don't know that much about jujitsu and the Gracie family. The Gracie family is like the um, you know, ancient yoga, you know, gurus <laughs> from India. But this family, there's one family from Brazil. The world famous, yeah. Are, yeah, completely world famous and really are, are predominantly known for, you know, bringing their jiu-jitsu from Brazil all over the world. Um, yeah, they, they through the UFC, they really, like, kind of brought jiu-jitsu. They kind of put jiu-jitsu on the map. Um, it was already a thing, but, you know. Was, and One of my favorite yeah. um, jiu-jitsu documentaries, by the way, uh, Choke. So for yogis out there, like definitely check out this film because he's like a a very skilled yoga master. Ah. He does um, in the documentary, you you watch him do uh, the pranayama breathing exercise. Is that what that is? I I figured a yoga person would know what that Mm -hmm. was. So pranayama breathing, breathing work, breath work, you know, (laughs) breathing in and out quickly. But he does this really um, intense breathing work where he also, he exhales out completely. He empties his lungs and he sucks in his stomach and then he starts massaging it um around if you watch it it's really weird and freaky but his stomach moves around i've seen that yeah mm-hmm. so that's a uh, a yogic cleanse to just kind of um cleanse out your digestive system and move it around so so let me ask you this because mm-hmm. like i i have i hurt my back when i first moved back to charleston and and doing jiu-jitsu and then uh, Tommy Glenn, my friend who ran a yoga school at the time, he gave me just like a six-month scholarship to the school. And yoga was pretty much the only thing that made me feel better. And, and yoga and physical therapy were the only things that brought me back. And so I will forever be grateful to yoga for that. That's awesome. But like any subculture, there's always going to be some, some BS. So like because there's people who are teaching things and they, um, they might be good at one thing and then they try to like kind of latch on something else and maybe they're not an expert in. So how do you as someone who's who is knowledgeable in yoga, how do you feel <clears throat> how do you like fact check things? Because it's very easy like somebody can say like oh this position, you know, does this for you or does that for you and they might they might have just read that on a block and not have done like the critical research. You know what I'm saying? So like how do you, how do you as a yoga teacher like make sure you don't fall into like a like pseudoscience or like you know what I'm saying or like kind of like a culty like I know more just because I'm more flexible than you kind of thing mm, that's that's great man <laughs> that's that's a good question and like I don't know <laughs> I don't know I like the you know I don't know anything sometimes um and that's why forever um that'll always just be a student like, yeah you have to be a student first absolutely so in Charleston like you know my students will catch me in the yoga classes like pretty regularly. I'm making sure like I'm getting my practice in. And then I think the second part to that is I have to be um, through that yoga practice. I have to experience things too and be really curious. So experience and be like curious about everything, question everything. Um, so like a lot of new theories and ideas will come on. Like some are trendy. Sure. Right? Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. I would say my most recent ones like cold showers and cold baths and like I don't want to tell everyone like okay go out and do do this right go take a cold shower but I think you should sure I've been doing it and like I feel so it's like transformational it's like pretty it's a pretty intense feeling have you like explored any like that cryo 
uh, therapy stuff. I've done bit. I've done some cryo and I've done some like cold water swimming in Denmark. And when I say some, I mean exactly two times. <laughs> but you've done it, and you know how like powerful that experience is. Yeah. So I think for me, it's just like I like being curious about life and going into things and like trying it. And not getting like so dogmatic and preaching to people like, oh, you should do this. Like, I'm hardly ever like that. Like, you know, telling people exactly what they need to do or try. Um, I, as a yoga teacher, I'm more just about like, you know, how can I find, how can I um, teach you to find a way in your practice or in life for you to kind of, for you to find those answers? Um, yeah. How can I help you in doing that? So whether it's on the mat or or something that's new that comes out in life. Well, you know, it's interesting though, because like with yoga, people, people, um, there's just so many physical benefits. If you didn't say a word in yoga and you just showed up and stretched and went home, your body would be better, your mind, your emotions, your dopamine, whatever, everything would be better. It's funny. People would probably be like, if you didn't say one word, they'd be like, that was a pretty good class. That's a good class. That guy's very <laughs> serious. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, a lot of people look for kind of like a, a spiritual thing in yoga. And that's interesting to me as somebody like who used to be religious. Like I'm, I'm fascinated by what anyone thinks about anything. Mm. Not know? just religion, but just Yeah, ideas. well, a- anything past the physical plane, I, I'm very yeah. interested in. I, I'm also extremely skeptical, right? Because mm-hmm. I like, it's like it's once, well, like if you've seen a card trick and you're like, wow, it's an amazing card trick. <clears throat> then you realize that it was just a rigged deck. You're like, Okay, now it's so, like no matter for the rest of your life, you see a card trick. You're just like you're just like have a like obscene fascination with just oh, let's see where he puts the card, whatever. Yeah. So anytime there's a world that has like a spirituality to it, I'm always curious because um, there's always people who really believe. There's always people who are seeking, and then and then there are always a couple manipulators. You know, just like people who are like just kind of in that world for their own pursuits, you know? And luckily I, I imagine it's just like the same pursuit. There are the same numbers of like, like sociopaths. So like if you have a hundred people in a room, three of them are going to be sociopaths who just don't really have the same morality as other people. And one's going to be a, a psychopath. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm at, I, I definitely think it's like that jujitsu, you know, where it's like jujitsu is supposed to make you better. And it does unless you're a bad person already. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I, I don't know. Like, I, like, I don't, I don't, like must, I guess like in, in church culture, you can tell when somebody's wrong, you know, because you have we have an agreed upon text that we more or less agree on. And, but in yoga culture, it doesn't really seem like you have that same kind of canon of morality. So it, it must be weird socially sometimes where if you feel like this person's being kind of pushy about this or that or dogmatic, you know, like how do you how do you navigate those like social things? Sometimes you see that, man. Yeah. And like in, in this yoga world, sometimes people would be like pretty pushy with their dogmatic. Sometimes I've seen that in, in classes. Um, but I think you just got to take everything with that grain of salt yeah. and be curious. So I always try and listen. I try and be a good listener. I think with podcasts too, like I have to I have to listen to like what Joe's saying, yes. right? For me to like respond back. So I think that's that's healthy to do. So it's just like listen to what people say and, and some stuff will resonate with me and I take it and that's good and it kind of fuels me. It gives me um, motivation sometimes. Yeah. I think what the teacher's trying to do is just motivate people, right? Motivate them to just live a happy, healthy life. Yeah. Um, so that part is good. And then, you know, I think the resistance, 
um, that some people see sometimes when they start to push a lot of that uh, dogmatic side. Sure. Just like the the yogic background of like the relig the religious um, side of it, which I think is completely separate, right? It's like yeah, you know, this is just you know, this is a practice. Yeah. Well, I mean, I imagine there's value in it too. Yeah. Like uh, you know, like there's I don't know. I guess you you kind of find what you're looking for in anything. If you're looking for uh, you know a ghost in the house, you're gonna find you're gonna construct one. You know, but if you're looking for something beautiful, you can find that too. Yeah, if you're like if you want to see that ghost, if you're looking for it, yeah, you're gonna your mind's gonna imagine What's that sound? something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. Like so crazy now. It just made me think of all those shows <laughs> where you just have that background. They're like, you know, they think they see something. What is that? Yeah. And like, are starting to imagine it. I used to do a bit about how um, I would ask the crowd if they believe in ghosts, and and I would say that I used to do a bit basically about uh, how. Uh, I want to believe in ghosts, but my house is too small to haunt. <laughs> you know, like every time you see a scary movie, it's like this gigantic 3,000 square feet. <laughs> like you've never seen a movie called like Haunted Trailer 2. It's like, oh my God, what's that sound? And they just look to their right. Oh, it's raccoon. <laughs> oh, it's our car getting towed. All right, there's no mysteries here. <laughs> That's so cool, man. I watched some of your uh, stand-up videos. I was on YouTube. Oh, just some to get some stuff. background. Yeah, man, you know what you're doing. Like you, you bring your jokes. Yeah, you I try. Get laughs, man. I try. But I, some, something I noticed. Yeah, go ahead. No, please. Something I noticed um, too with your standup, but but the art of standup is the timing and the beats of mm. everything. So to relate this comedy back to you know my my yoga people and all the yoga teachers. When I'm in that flow state of teaching a class and I'm cueing and I'm telling everybody where to put their arms next and what pose to go into, there's a certain beat that I'm hitting. And I've only just recently noticed this, five, almost five, six years, same as you teaching yoga about that time, that I'm like hitting it in like a metronome way. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's like ba 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 or something like that, kind of like you're boxing, yes. and you're like hitting this rhythm. What is that, man? Well, you know, like that's one thing that I think yoga teachers do better than any other um, sport or anything I've ever practiced ever is prompts that you guys give, like the suck your stomach in like this, or like squeeze your glutes, or like put your finger like this. The, the cues, yeah, the like cues, verbal cues. They're so specific and they're so helpful. Mm -hmm. Jiu-jitsu people are terrible at that they're just like like one time i i my first jiu-jitsu instruction was in danish and like uh like because right, you lived in yeah so, uh, yeah i lived in denmark bit, yeah. yeah and and like it was just basically like as i was listening into it in danish it was more pronounced but basically he was just saying you go like this and you go like this and then you do that and you go like this and like in english you wouldn't really notice it because you're watching a visual demonstration but when you like listen to it through a foreign language you're like man this guy sucks <laughs> you know um so I don't know the cues thing that yoga people do is very interesting, but like the time timing is timing is important, and timing is an invisible skill, and so it's kind of one of the last things you learn. Like if someone's going to do comedy, um, learn to write jokes, learn this the grammatical structure of joke writing, and then timing is just something you have to develop over time. And it's one the, I'm I'm a student of all these things. I'm I'm moving to New York to do stand up, not because I'm so good. But because everybody in New York is so good, and by being there, I will hopefully be good like them. You know, so like, I'm like pontificating a little bit on. I feel like on this, but I'm I, honestly, these are things that I am, 
I'm a blue belt in comedy. Is how I feel. You know, I'm, I'm, I have skills, but I, I am a baby still. You know. But that being said, um, timing is one of those things that when people are good at it, you don't notice it. But when they are not good at it, you you feel it, and you don't really understand. It's like when someone's a bad drummer in a band. It's like, why is this? Why is it so hitchy? Why is it not? Why is it not? The smooth? music sounds alright, but something's off. Yes. And if you're not a musician, you don't know that that's timing. Yeah, that guy's lagging behind, or he's rushing it. Either way, mm -hmm. there's really only two. There's only three options. You're either behind the beat, you're ahead of the beat, or you're right on beat. Mm. Past, future, yeah, or that present moment. Exactly. Right. And it's like that with comedy. People are going so fast that they're not giving the crowd time to react to them, mm. or for whatever reason. There's too much dead air in their in their time, and that's not interesting, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I was listening to a podcast with Tommy Chung, yeah, you know, from uh, Cheech and Chong, yeah, of you course, know, hot smoker dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. comedian, of course, hysterical. Um, but he talked about the pause in comedy and how the pause is like the most important thing. So I was like thinking about that for a bit, and I, you know, because I love stand up. I'm watching, I'm watching it now, thinking about that pause. So I'll see a comedian, they'll say a joke. It might not be funny, it might not be that great, but they take like 10, 15 more seconds and they pause and then all of a sudden people start laughing. I'm Absolutely. like, what the heck is that? It's beautiful It watch that. Yeah, well some of that's also just courage. Like if you pause, like the, the best feeling in the world in comedy is to get to somewhere in your set to where you're not even saying the joke yet and people are already laughing. That's because what it is is maximum efficiency. Like I'm not even trying and you're laughing. And that's why some people are just so funny. Like 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 some like 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 any kind of master of comedy is can get to that point where they just make one little gesture and it's already so funny. You know, mm -hmm. they just do one little one little thing. And um I don't know, that's that that, that is something but it's a but the pause ha can be overdone too. So it's like any any mechanic you know like you have to do it correctly but right. but but you still having people's time and their attention right exactly yeah exactly but but the reason why you pause is because comedy is about other people in my opinion and so if 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 someone start if a room if a show sucks it's usually because the comics have treated the show like a one-sided conversation if you've ever been on a bad blind date or like a, at a lame, you know, LinkedIn party or whatever, and it's just people be like, "I work in accounting. I have a graphics business. My my name is Jerry." Like, what are you just be like? Oh my god, We're, I hate that man. Sometimes that that irks me. Oh, it's, it's unbearable. Yeah. And and so whereas if somebody was just like, "Oh my god, these shrimp are amazing," you'd be like, "Oh my god, they are amazing." You know what I mean? Like if it was something that's more like put put the ball in the middle court. The more I travel into my side of the court to talk. I need to make sure that you're with me. And if I go too far away from that, then I lose the crowd. So like a, sometimes a pause is a way to let the crowd make a sound. I'm making all the sounds. I have a microphone and I'm on a stage and the lights are on me. I'm getting all the attention. So if I give a little moment for you to give some noise, some attention, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel a part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that's why that works. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And the pause in yoga and meditation work as well, it gives that chance for the student now to just like dive inwards and start, you know, bringing that awareness and focus um, inside themselves as well too. So if I'm guiding like a meditation, I'm like, all right, take a deep breath. All right, 
and then you like pause and you leave that now they're like having that moment rather than like I'm like doing a guided meditation I'm like like that right absolutely it's nothing it's hypnotic to to have good timing like it's hypnotic mm. and it's like that in everything like if you watch like ASMR videos or like sleep hypnosis things there's this um, those pauses is part of what brings people down mm. in a good way you know it's like taming a wild horse like you know, <laughs> you know. So pauses, timing, man, like all that stuff. I just saw you saw all these parallels between uh, that and yoga. It's really interesting. Yeah, I I, I think so too. And, there, and there's probably a lot of comparisons because you know, um, being good at yoga is is difficult to be. You know, to like change your life through something is difficult. And comedy is the same way. It's just a difficult and probable thing. And so, and then just like yoga, any day that you're doing it is, even if it's not a good day that day, it is a net positive, you know? Mm. So even if you're having a bad day on the, like in jujitsu, there's like no bad days on the mat kind of thing, even though some days are very bad, <laughs> you get smashed or whatever. But I think it's like that. You know, anytime you, you, you've taken an hour or 30 minutes or whatever to make yourself better, most people don't do that. Most people let everything pass them by and they don't work on themselves so it's I, I think it's sexy when people work on themselves and try to be better you know it's sexy and it's also uh empowering yeah to see that too 100 yeah 100 it's it, i mean honestly that's why it's like jujitsu yoga i think these kind of things will always be around because um most most things don't have much um like I, I can be a very like I feel like I can be very sarcastic, especially on Facebook. On Facebook, I just talk mad shit. I'm always just trying to be funny, and it, like, and that's just part of my, my how I practice, and also part that's just how my brain thinks. My brain has been thinking like that for 36 years. I just now have an avenue to push it out into the world and get 20 likes and be like, oh, I feel better about myself, you know, whatever. But um, I don't know. Your yeah, your social media page. I'll go through it sometimes, and it's cracking me. Up. <laughs> more more specifically, when you have these community pages. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know, for those geographically, it's kind of like you know, listening like Charleston. You know, we're all divided up in these different neighborhoods. And Absolutely. In North Charleston, there's Park Circle, and I don't want to give the Facebook group, <laughs> but I'll jump on there, and it's just some of the stuff that I'm like going through and reading. It's just like, is this person for real? Yes. Like, you know, is this a real thing? Like, I'm thinking they're, like, doing some stand-up online. Oh, yeah. But they're totally serious. And then I'll go through the comments, and then I'll see Joseph. <laughs> right there. And you're, you, you crack me up on there. So you have, like, stand-up on the stage, but then you also have, like, your, your new media stand-up. Yeah, well, you know, to me, like, like once again, like, I, I think comedy is, is a giving thing. And, and, but it's also a weapon. To, and it's a weapon to protect yourself and also to change things. Mm. So, um, you know, like like case in point, there's um, there's this really like slimy pickup artist dude that was traveling through Europe and he was doing seminars. And like you know, some dudes are socially awkward and probably need help getting laid. God bless them. <laughs> whatever. If you want to wear a fuzzy hat and that makes women talk to you, whatever. Do your thing. <laughs> but this dude was like, like really invasive and, and shitty and like, like his hashtag was like grabbing women by the throat all over the world or something really oh. aggressive and terrible. Yeah. And, um, and England banned him from coming. 
and then and then he wanted to go to Iceland next. And Icelandic people, Scandinavian people in general, are super smart. And they're very innovative with how they problem solve. Because they're a small country, they can afford to take more chances. So they got this guy coming to Iceland. And at first, they're all, like everyone's like, let's ban this dude. Don't let him into the country, whatever, whatever. And then this one comedian made the suggestion. He's like, no, 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 no. If we ban him, it will make his stock go up. It will make everybody think that, oh, he's the bad boy. He, his, his sales will go through the roof, which right. is 100% true. So here's what we do. We don't ban him, but uh, it's a guy, and he's like this, you know, trying to be this pickup artist. We don't ban him, but every man in Iceland makes an agreement that we will do to him what he does to women. Mm. So we'll go by it on the street and grab his ass or grab him by the neck, try to pull his hair and try to make out with him on the street. And so we're basically just going to street harass this pickup artist until he leaves Iceland. <laughs> Genius idea. And and I think the dude like ended up can I don't remember how the story is, I think he canceled it. But I was like, to me, that is so funny. But you can yeah. but you can also feel like the the anger behind that too. But it's so smart. Like that's how you solve it. And like I think that's one thing that I will always preach about comedy is comedy teaches you a lot about power dynamics and about how attention works. Like that comic was smart enough to know that this is only gonna make him bigger if we're like, oh, you know, like, oh I'm too cool for Iceland and England, whatever. It's like, no, 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 you come here and we will make you have a bad time. You know, like, that's so smart. It's it's basically like heckling in a way. Right. So. Yeah, it shines the spotlight on that too and it brings awareness. Yeah. Into it. Man, that's so interesting. I forget what I was going to say, but, uh, man, it's that pause now. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast. Yeah, podcast, pod, no, who cares, man? Yeah, no, it was so funny. Like, and, and, and honestly, I, yeah, like coming back to the the social media thing and like, like the Facebook groups, I, I I just like sometimes people just don't realize how they come across, and so it's fun to just amplify it and make it ridiculous or just because because I think when you don't have a lot of big things in your life, little things become big things. If if you're really chasing your dreams, the fact that the neighbors didn't bring in the recycling can would not matter because you'd be too exhausted from pursuing what you care about to be like. But if you don't have something that gives you joy, then little things become like a quest. Like, I gotta stop Joe from turning the temperature up at the... You know, you know, like, you know like that becomes like your... Mission. Your mission. And we, we are mission-centered creatures. We are looking for a quest of some kind. And if you don't make a good quest, a bad quest will appear, mm. you know? Sometimes that mission is going through towards drama too. Yes, exactly. It's, it's so interesting as humans that we really like get fed on that. Well, we need stim. We want to use our muscles. It's like when cats run around the house at three in the morning. It's because they know there's there's a part of them. that's like I need to burn this. I need. I need. Cool. To, yeah, I need yeah. to. I need to know that I still got it. You know. Mm -hmm. And I think we are looking for problems to solve. And if we don't have a big meaningful one, we'll just take a hundred dumb ones glued together like old bars of soap. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's it, man. It's like how you're how you're using it mm -hmm. uh, too, like that mission. You can feed in towards like the the good or feed in towards the bad. Absolutely. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I and I try, man. You know, not to not to bring a downer on the podcast, but like you know, you see all these like worldly things going on, and um, you know, I was just thinking recently about like Australia and it basically being like under Torched. fire. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's it's crazy, and. Um, like what can one what can I do or what one person can do? You know, I think like I wanna be fed on trying to do do something like I wanna do, but as most humans like you don't know what to do or where to help. 
Um, but I remember one of the most like powerful experiences that I've had and that I that I have um, is getting to teach um, yoga specifically to, to children. Mm. And when I teach yoga to children, I'm like, okay, this is close. This is this is it, and it's one of the most like powerful experiences because I can't put out that fire in Australia and I can't fix something you know out there or something that's in the future. But when I go and I teach kids, I'm like, okay, I'm setting something up for the future. And for me, that was like mind alterating and blowing. So for you, your job, you know, getting to this is is you teach kids, man. One of the like greatest gifts out there in the world. Yeah, yeah. I uh, um, two two things. One mm-hmm. is that how weird would it be if you could solve the fires in Australia? <laughs> how could how weird would it be if you're the most powerful man? You're like you're like she just blew a magical From wind. Right here yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I would be terrified to be on this podcast <laughs> if you could fix it. And and I think honestly, like. Um, the world we live in makes everything about us. Like the reason why it's so fun to look at your phone and I love looking at my phone. I don't think that's a good part of me. I'm just saying I love it. You know, is the reason why I look at my phone is everything arrows are pointed towards me. Mm. Like all the messages are towards me. They're about me. All the notifications only tag me when my name comes up or it's something I'm already talking about. Mm. You know what I mean? And maybe I see, and even when I scroll through, I, it, my, the algorithm is presenting things that it thinks I will like. So the whole world is being catered to me. And so it can give you a... It's the ego. Yeah. And it give you a false sense of how um, strong you are, how important you are. And then you see a very large scale good or a very large scale bad. And you're like, oh, I'm just a small piece of this. And it can make you depressed, but but you were always a small piece, you know. Right. Um, it's just you just saw it, and that's why it's painful, you know. And and I think a lot of people go through that at different points, and I've been through that myself. But that being said, if you spend the rest of your life working on it, you could become a big piece in a positive way, and you can compound the interest of your of your energies. So you were going to teach children, and you were going to give them a little drop of good into their life, and for all you know that little drop could be the thing that sets off a chain reaction of good into the future. And like that's why like teaching to me is a drug. Like I I, I could teach kids jujitsu till the day I die, seven days a week, for the rest of my life. Because I love it that much. And like like last night I was teaching and I was like and not all the not all the time on the mat was good. By the last class I was exhausted and the kids are just playing grab ass and just screwing around and like not taking it serious. But we still had some moments, and we still had some some really great training, and and I think that is what you have to focus on, is, is because the thing is you don't really ever know. Like a lot of times, we when we think we've done good, we've actually un, unintentionally done harm, mm. and a lot of times when we thought we were we hurt somebody, we actually there's no problem at all. Right. It's very hard to know your effect, and so it's best to just just do the best you can all the time. And to be as giving as you can, and, and to not be petty, which is tough for me as a comic. <laughs> I want to, I want, I want to put people in their place when they, when they're being uh, uh, like a jerk, you know. Right. Uh, and, and we all do. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. But honestly, if I got put in my place every time I was being a jerk, life would be way less cool. You know what I mean? Like it's it like there's having mercy is is important. I think, which is crazy to say, but I think it's important. It's cool getting all these ideas out. Do you think through podcasting um, and us being able to like talk and flow that they're coming out sometimes, or do you think those initial ideas are there? 
Yeah, well, I think sometimes you you um, you know, like in therapy, the point of a therapist is not to tell you something new; it's for you to come to the realization yourself, and right. that you have a lot of stuff. Um, I think we all we all carry a whole train of information behind us. You know, like think about all the things that had to happen for you to be, just for you to be born, you know, and be mm-hmm. a human. And then all your people behind you that have made you and their incredible stories of whatever they were. And then all the people in Alabama that drank RC Cola to make me, mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 or whatever, you know, you know, like, I don't know. I, I think it's, there's probably a mixture of like shared wisdom that we just all have. Yeah. And then Some, yeah, something beautiful just comes out in like podcasts sometimes. Where I'm like, did I always have this thought, or just through like um, talking with you regularly, I'm just like, oh, that's a that's a really good idea. Or most of the time, I say something, I'm like, oh, that was just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I think this podcasting is a tool that you through which you get to hear yourself, and that is the worst and best part of it. Mm, yeah, it's hard for people. Yeah, sometimes you hear yourself and you're like. I mean, the first basic thing people say is they say, I hate the way I sound. Yeah. And then after a while, you kind of accept that, that like, no, this is just my voice, whatever. And other people are fine with it. So, you know what I mean? People are still giving me money to teach and sleeping with you, whatever. <laughs> you know, like, it's going fine. But then after a while, you start listening to what you say. And then you're like, oh, I like that I say this. Or yeah. I, oh, I, don't, I don't really believe that anymore. Or whatever. And it's a mirror. Yeah. Getting to use that voice. Yeah. It's powerful. Absolutely. That's good, man. Yeah. So when you, you started teaching jiu-jitsu, um, were you starting to teach to adults first, or did you go children first? Well, I, I, um, I, I was raised to be a martial arts teacher. That was kind of the only expectation. Like, other families grow up, like, doctor, lawyer. <laughs> I was expected to be a black belt and to run a karate school. Yeah, I guess even before teaching, where does that go yeah. back to? Where did you start? Yeah, well, so my, da- my dad... Um, uh, has done karate for 50 years wow. and he was karate, he is a karate teacher still. My older brother that passed away, uh, he was a karate teacher. My sister who hasn't done karate in like, like 30 years, she, when we were growing up, she was a black belt and she taught. And, uh, and even my brother that like hated karate, <laughs> he just like through family pressure got to like a brown belt, you know? And so like my whole family has always been involved in it since the seventies. Wow. And so that was kind of all that was expected of me. And then in high school, I started getting really serious with it, and I was competing and teaching in the family business. And then at one point, me and my brother broke off and started a school program type business. Was your family business um, just karate, or did you infuse it? Just just karate. Just karate. I, I knew of jujitsu, but I thought it was lame. I, I like I was very like karate people can be pretty arrogant sometimes because most martial arts styles people can be arrogant. It's it's very much like religion. It's like. We know what we're talking about. We are aware that there are other types, but we're the best. Let's face it. You know what I mean? It's like that mentality. And uh, and that's okay. I think it's just pride, you know, and sometimes pride's not a bad thing. But um, that's what I was raised to be. And so, but then um, in my mid-20s, I got into competing really serious. Uh, I I started competing more serious, and I just never got what I wanted out of it. And so so I got really kind of heartbroken with it, and then I moved to Denmark. And then uh, I saw a jiu-jitsu class. I was like, I really want to try this. I've never grappled in my life. Never once. I thought it was weird. I didn't want to be touched, whatever. And before that, also, what made you go to Denmark, too? Was it just on a whim? No, no. I got a job um, with my ex-wife playing music in a state-run church. It's wow. the weirdest job in the world. Whoa. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And honestly, like, 
like I'm glad it happened. I would like I would never play music in church ever again. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I would for fun. I would for like if they're like, hey, we need you someone to play like lap steel guitar for this one song. Yeah. Like, cool, I'd hop in. I hope you got some bits, yeah, oh, jokes out of that man. experience too. Boy, do I. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, uh, but like like I said at the beginning, I, I'm grateful for all that. And like even going to Denmark, like Charleston makes straight, boring white guys. That's what we produce here. That is our number one export is dudes that hold fishes with their shirt off on Tinder. That's what we make. And so the fact that I got to kind of escape that and become a little bit weird by being in Denmark, I'm, I will forever be grateful. And whatever it took to get me there, that was a, that was a fair price, you know. So I got to Denmark, got into jiu-jitsu. Got crazy about it, just immediately fell in love, and I and it, it became my thing. Because even though I loved karate, it was always my dad's thing. It was like my dad's language. And, and so you were doing karate in the states, and then going to to Europe. Now you're in, in Denmark. Then you get into jujitsu. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, and I got really into it, and I, you know, and then I came back to Charleston, stayed with it, and then um, was I, Charleston at the time was jujitsu around. Um, but before I left, there was some jujitsu, but it was not very good. Jujitsu is still a very young art. It's still like people are still like inventing moves, you know, like, it, it, like, and, and, wow, and entire yeah. concepts of the sport are still being discovered. It's, it's, uh, it's, that's why it's, it's so exciting. You know, like some sports are very canonized, like, um, like fencing or maybe even, even, maybe even judo. Judo has some innovations too, but judo is also very canonized. Like at this belt, you learn these moves at this belt. You learn and jiu-jitsu is all over the map. It's still, you know, and jiu-jitsu comes from judo. Okay. But like, I guess in like an elementary one-on-one, really short, really basic. Yeah. What is uh, the difference? Jiu-jitsu, karate, judo. Yeah. So, um, so the, you can basically divide all um, martial arts between two, things. Martial arts that um, are striking based and martial arts that are grappling based. Striking arts are ones that the goal is to hit somebody with an extremity. Your fist, your foot, your knee, your elbow, your head even. And then grappling arts are ones that are about closing the distance, connecting your body to them and taking away space and putting somebody on the ground. Either through wrestling them or taking them down or even pulling them down somehow, however you get them to the ground, and then controlling people on the ground. Right. So striking arts, like karate, for example, want to keep the fight on the feet, because that's where they have they spend the most time. 95% of a karate person's life is spent on the feet. And jiu-jitsu people uh, want to take the fight to the ground, because on the ground, they spend a lot of their time on the ground, so they have the advantage, you know. And so that's how you can mostly divide martial arts in that way. Mm. Is there a difference too in the safety of it? Because with karate, right, you're you're using force, so are you you're kicking, you're punching. Yeah. So jujitsu, they say, and I don't know if this is, but it's safer because you're not striking someone with the force, right? You're more you're trying to achieve. Uh, is it is it choking or gripping? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, the only win, well, only way you win at jujitsu is you win by points. Or you win by rep decision, or you win by submission. Submission, all right. And within submissions, there are joint locks and there are chokes, and then that's very kind of a simple way of getting it. And so, if I if I was if we were in a uh, boxing match and I wanted to end the fight, I would have to knock you out, mm-hmm. and that's very bad for your brain. And um, and and there's no way to measure a knockout punch. You either. It's just a like I couldn't almost knock you out on purpose. I could. I mean, some some people are really good. They could rock you and maybe. But but even then, it's based on your body and, and the timing and distance. But jujitsu people can be like surgical. Like I can choke you almost. I can choke you to the point where you're gonna go out and then let go. 
and that is is way better because like if, if your drunk uncle started a fight on Thanksgiving and you know karate, well you have to knock out your uncle, you know what I'm saying, or or hit him so hard that he can't move. Where in jiu-jitsu, you just take him down and just sit on him and just be like, come on, come on, be reasonable, you know, so. And there's a defense mechanism behind it, too. So Absolutely. You, so you get to teach these kids um, to, to learn how to defend themselves. But what is also some of like the other benefits? Oh, yeah. Um, I think jiu-jitsu gives you body positivity. And no one ever says that. But for me, that's exactly what happened. Like, I felt weird about my body for a long time. But jiu-jitsu, however you are built, is your weapon. Mm. It's like your sword. You know, some people are a katana. Some people are a big broadsword. Some people are a knife. But all those things have an edge and have a, have a place and have a distance. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, if I have really long legs, it's fun that I can keep people at that distance, whatever. But if I had shorter legs, I'd have to play the game differently. And so, for me, jiu-jitsu made me appreciate my body. And I think that's that's a valuable thing and also good for kids to learn. Because some kids come to jiu-jitsu and they're fat. They're not – like they're just fat kids. And, they, like, not fat in the sense that they, like, eat chips all day. But they're just bigger Big kids. Right. And they will never be different. And if you and if they were in a ballet class, they, they, will, they will look like a joke. Not in the sense that they're not good, but in the sense that we all know that the elite ballerinas don't get to look like this. It's unfair, but that's just how that world is because there's a cosmetic thing. Whereas in jiu-jitsu, however you look, it doesn't matter. No one cares. You could be the skinniest kid in the world. You could be the fattest kid in the world. You could have, you could actually be missing a limb and still compete in jiu-jitsu, and it doesn't matter. Because it's not about appearances. It's about skill. Mm-hmm. And for all these people listening, they're either getting they're offended or whatever. <laughs> it's truth. Right? Yeah. And go back to like comedy and you up on stage. You know, you're sharing stories about yourself. It's, it's truth. In yoga practice, uh, one of the limbs of it is satya. And satya means your truth. You can either, you know, practice your truth through your actions. You practice your truth through your words. And we constantly say all the time in yoga, you know, just your body. You need to love your body and you honor it. And it's hard for a lot of people sometimes to, like, shame or something like that. Absolutely. You know, when you step on your yoga practice, like, your practice is, you know, beautiful and fine. Just, like, right there. Just the way that your your body is. Well, your, your body is a story. And everyone's story is going to be different. And so I love it when I have, like, I have a lot of, not a lot, I have some girls in my school, they're like eight, nine years old, and they're just big girls, and they're never going to be anything but big girls and physically. They're, but I love to tell them that, look, if you get past his legs and you drop your weight on him, this match is over. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to kill this kid in a good way. Like, so all you have to focus on is getting past the legs because maybe they're not as uh, quick on their feet. So I'm like, so like, take your weapon, which is your body, and learn to be very good at using your weapon. Your weapon looks different than mine, but I can help you if I'm a good coach. I can help you, and I love seeing kids with with like different body types succeed. So some of my girls that are a little bit bigger now, they've started to like use that body and like boss kids around a little bit in a good way. So they'll be going with a boy instead of just getting overwhelmed by the speed. They're like, no, I'm gonna put my hand on the back of your head and I'm gonna hang off your neck until you fall down, and then I'm gonna crush you. And and to me. I, that's the whole point. Or I, I have a very small kid, and I'm like, look, you are too small to um, – you don't get to play big guy jiu-jitsu. You're too small. You have to play small guy jiu-jitsu and, and learn to use your body and be faster than people and, and have good escapes. And you know, and so it's, it's reality-based body positivity in my opinion. And you can use your strength. Absolutely. You can use your flexibility too. Yeah. So you need, you need a little – you need either a little bit or a lot of mobility. 
100%. Everyone has to have a certain mobility, you know. And you see it, um, you know, when you are watching these mixed martial arts, um, whether it's like through UFC, which is popular, they're yeah. using a combination of like everything, you know, Absolutely. striking, boxing. But if you just watch jujitsu, it's really cool the way that they're, uh, it's yoga, you know, they're, con you know, contortioning their body, you know, rounds, you know, in positions and even to get that, that choke. You need, you need the, like certain amount of mobility. Yeah, well, yeah. It, there's there's a lot of a, a lot about efficiency, and it's a lot about details. That's why I like the whole like coming back to the cues. So, for example, um, I was teaching um, a choke the other day where you have your um, hand in somebody's collar, um, and and it's called a loop choke. But part of the problem with the choke is when people stop moving their elbow. But most of the people, when they're choking somebody, they're thinking about their hand. Because my hand is the thing that's in the collar. It's the visible, it's where the choke seems to be happening. But what's making the choke happen is not my hand. It is my elbow. And if I can pull my elbow far, further, this choke is going to tighten. If my elbow is out of position. So, like, come back to the yoga thing. I try to teach my jiu-jitsu classes kind of like a yoga teacher. Where I try to give very accurate prompts. One, because countercultural, most jiu-jitsu teachers are not good teachers they're good practitioners they're not good teachers and and two it's infinitely more helpful instead of being like oh you just gotta practice more it's like no 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 i have to practice more as a teacher because why can't i explain to you how to do this in your body in a way that you i have to be 100 percent responsible as a teacher and so like i have to find ways that oh you don't understand you're not moving your elbow correctly so i need to be able to take all that data in and be like start moving your elbow start moving your oh there it is got it you know, and in jiu-jitsu, it's very clear. This person's choking, or they're not choking. <laughs> so it's, it's a little more black and white. Can you go past that, too, and go from, yeah, you have to move your elbow. What about even your shoulder? Absolutely. You're going above that. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and sometimes that's necessary. So, like, there's a choke. Um, the, like, there's a there's a, probably the best teacher in the world right now is a guy named John Danaher, and his students are kind of winning everything, and he's kind of just the man right now. And he, or jiu-jitsu? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, he taught George St. Pierre. He's taught a bunch of you know famous people. And um, one of the things he talks about is how most people – he was showing a choke from the back where everyone associates the power from coming into their – from their arm. And he was saying that what you have to do is connect in this specific choke, the power of the arm choke to your, your shoulders and your, and your hips even and turning this way to, to finish this movement. Yeah. And it never even occurred to me. That, you, that that's how you would do that. But that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the postures in yoga too, if you're just mindful and you're noticing the alignment of your hips and shoulders, I mean, that's like everything. It's like a huge percentage of it right there is this mindfulness and paying attention to where your hips and the position of them are and your shoulders. Yeah. That's the funny thing is like when you're a beginner in yoga, at least from my experience, everything is kind of hard. But it's not because it's hard, it's because you suck and you're not efficient. <laughs> like you, don't un you are working too hard when you shouldn't be, and you're not working hard enough where you should be. You know, because you don't, you're a beginner. You don't know what matters yet. Yeah, and, and you're working to get into that flow state. Yes. You still have to build to that. But you have to remove all the, those kind of like inaccuracies. And then after a while, you can do a difficult yoga class, but because you're so efficient, it's probably actually not that much work for you. Mm -hmm. you know? So you can be a really good student in jiu-jitsu, in yoga, um, when you start to transition, now you want to teach, and just like this, you know, beautiful thing, what makes you, you think, going from a, a good student to now a good teacher? 
Man, that is a very good distinction. And I think the important thing to, to realize is you have to have empathy. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's what a lot of teachers miss. And the thing that you said that I really respect is that your, your students see you learning stuff. And that's exactly how I am and try to be. Like I, I can push my kids to compete because I have competed before and I, I have been terrified and panicky and scared as hell. And so when I see a kid who's scared as hell, I can be like, I, I, I am not telling you to do something I've never done. And also, by the way, you don't have to do any of this. That's the other thing I was trying to say. Like, if you want, you can go home right now, and I will. This, this does not change any part of our relationship as, as to you know. But while we're here, if mm-hmm. you want to, let's go try to win something. You mm-hmm. know. Um, but I think empathy is number one. You can never forget what it's like to be a beginner because if you do, you will become arrogant and you will lose people. Like I try to remember exactly what it was like as a white belt on my first day how uncomfortable I felt in the uniform, how I judged myself too hard or the opposite, how some people know, like were like too cocky at white belt. And like, I try to keep all those things in mind. So I think empathy is one. And also I think planning is very important. Most teachers are wing it types, especially in jujitsu, like driving in their car on the way there. Like, Oh, I'm just trying to teach today, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but I think details, um, and, uh, and also being able to break it down for people. Like as someone who teaches kids, I have to be able to break it down, and right. and and that's why people don't teach kids. It's, they say they don't like kids, but really they just don't know how to teach children, and they don't know what to expect. So I taught a class the other day. This kid, he has the class to himself. There's no nobody else in class, and he's just whining. He comes to class and he was smiling, and then he gets there and he's like, mm, mm. and so me like just trying to mess with him, I just tease him a little bit because if I was like, oh, why are you actually sad? I know he's not sad. I know. There's a part of him that is resisting the work. And if there's anything I relate to more, it is that I, I 100% don't want to work either. But you're here. Your mom's paying for this. I showed up for this. And you showed up for this. Let's make something happen. Let's do it. So I don't take him serious when he's complaining. I take his practice serious. But I'm not going to take his wine serious. So I'll tease him a little bit, push him a little bit. And then I, I get him going. And then I catch him doing it right. And I praise him for it. You know. And so I think... Being able to look at every person as like a little um, riddle and like, what do I need to do to get this riddle correct, you know, to help them and, and not make it about myself. Like the fact that this kid is not happy to see me means 0.0. This isn't about me. He won't even remember my name a year from now. I will be the jujitsu guy. And, and 10 years from now, he might not even remember that he did this. So what can I do? like into his future in a way I can help him a little bit. I can help him push himself a little bit. I can learn to help him learn how to snap out of things a little bit, but like you have to be a nameless person as a teacher. I think you have to be a nameless good sometimes. I think it's one of the hardest things is teaching the kids that I found in yoga practice. You know, I've taught adults for a couple of years and then going into teaching kids, it was, uh, it was the hard work. Yeah, to realize and to do. How did you? How was that for you? Like, how do you? How do you attain like their attention, especially in like a whole class, a whole group where they're just, you can imagine chaos. That's what it is sometimes. Well, number one, um, if they enjoy jujitsu class, I get more money. <laughs> so, yeah, so so like there's a direct financial incentive that is whipping this horse. You know what I mean? So yeah. like don't. I can't lie to myself about that, that I'm also doing this for money because I am terrible at a real job. So I better be really freaking good at this one, you know? 
Um, but the other side of it is that like, I don't know, after a while I just become, I just really love it. Like I, like I will, I, if I could take my school with me to New York, just pack it up in my pocket, I would. Cause I just, the you know, and every year you stand in the same spot and do the same thing. Like power kind of concentrates around you. And, and also after a while people start to build a nostalgia to you and, uh, and you, uh, build nostalgia to them. And, and it's so, it's so funny. Like last night. Um, two, two of my kids were training as a boy and girl and I've taught them since they were babies. Like one, I think the girl's strong, she's like two and three quarters or something. And I have so many of those kids that I love. Like if I, like I would, I would be their godfather. God forbid something ever happened to their parents. I would adopt them. Like I, 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 like there's, there's, there's some of these, I love all the kids I teach, but some kids I just am crazy about. I think they're so cool because I'm so invested in their narrative, you know, but it was so funny because like, um, uh, there, somebody had candy in their pocket and it fell out and we were like joking about that that kid's a pinata and so you gotta wrestle him hard to get candy <laughs> and then after and then after class it was so funny uh, she she's like oh she's like Mr. Joseph can I have that candy and I was like yeah sure and then she was eating it and she was talking to another kid she goes I'm his favorite <laughs> I like the fact that they, that they know I like, like I, I've never ever said that but the fact that she thinks that and thinks that I care about her that much, that's everything to me. Because like people people need to know that you are invested in them before they will listen to you. That's funny. She's a certain comic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, she's she's so funny. She's naturally funny. She's she's uh, it was so funny. I'm his favorite. And I was like, alright, alright, alright. <laughs> like, <laughs> but you had to have been in moments of just pure chaos in the class and oh, you yeah. deal with it, right? Are you tapping into that uh, that flow state? Where you just have to, just kind of, um, you're not thinking about it, but you just have to react and go with it? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, there are some classes I teach where I'm like, this could go on for forever and I would not never be sad. And there are other classes where it takes every trick in the book I know to make this not feel like a failure. Because um, sometimes yeah. you're, you're with them for hours, right? Like you lead not the classes, but you're doing camps, camps right? Camps are exhausting. Mm. Camps are very tough because it, it brings in like a a child care element to it. And like I love teaching a kid. I hate helping a kid put his socks on, you know, because like a lot of kids, you know, I don't know, one of those things. I, not that I don't mind helping a kid, but it's just that now I have 20 kids who are putting socks. These kids are crying. Um, this kid's on his phone and he shouldn't be. This kid doesn't have socks. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this kid um, is getting sick. Because he you ate too fast or whatever, you know. It's interesting. You're doing what you love. You're doing, um, you're enjoying what you're doing. But sometimes to do that, right, we have to do some of the other stuff that we oh, don't want to do. So much. So. Like I, I love teaching yoga and that's what I want to do and that's, that's what I do. And then sometimes I have to do emails and I no. have to go and do like the back end work. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. But I have to do this stuff to like do the stuff that I want to do. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I think that's one of those principles in life. Like if you can live a life where you only get to do the stuff that you want to do, that's very lucky. But honestly, I think it probably builds more character yeah. to have a couple parts of your life where it's like, no, I hate this, but I will do this because I bully myself into doing it. Mm-hmm. That's only going to make you stronger. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Putting on kids' stocks, making you biceps. Oh, <laughs> God. Well, you know, I, I try to like, I try to, I try to teach them even then. Yeah. But it's tough. So like I, for, for a while, I was really researching about creating a program that taught kids how to put their socks on. 
and their shoes on and tie their shoes. Mm. And I was like, if you could teach that at a young enough age, you'd be a millionaire. Mm. But the yeah. tricky thing is that the mechanics of putting on a sock are very difficult. It's 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 hard. It's actually it's you know it's like if you it's like if you had to put a sock on but with mittens on, it's it'd be very difficult to put your hand correctly into the hole and pull it inside out, and then pinch the sides, and then kids put it and their toe gets jammed into one side and they gotta rearrange it, and to develop language that uh, someone who only understands like a thousand words you know understands yeah. it's tough. That's why everybody's like I'm just gonna sock. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's so tough. The hardest part of teaching one of the hardest parts in teaching yoga is like seeing a pose. And then using the words to tell people how to get there. That, like, yeah, that, the cue thing. I mean, that, see, because there's a hundred things you could say, but they don't need a hundred things. They need the, the very most important thing to be said that makes the most sense. And that's amazing to me. Mm -hmm. As you're getting like your voice as a yoga teacher or teaching anything, it's always been keeping it simple too, like very straightforward. Like this is exactly what I want you to do instead of regurgitating all those cues. Yes. Like you said, you can say 200, 300 different things, so many different ways, but all you want you to do is just lift your arms up. Yes. You know? Yeah, your words are a spotlight, and if you have too many spotlights, it doesn't make any sense. But if you have one spotlight in the room, you're like, ooh, this must be important, you know? And you get that in comedy too, right? I'm sorry, oh, for yeah. one joke, right? You can be extra wordy. Yes. Um, but then you're, you're losing the attention. Yeah, like um, being precise is so important. Like um, my friend Rossi Brown, he's a comic, and he, he's he's very very funny. And sometimes we'll like like work jokes past each other. And so Rossi is very very thin in his build because he has sickle cell. And um, and but he dresses like really preppy sometimes. And so yeah. like I he. He's like, I did this roast joke about him a while back, and I kind of forgot about it. And he's like, Hey, do you mind if I do that roast joke on stage? And I was like, Yeah. And then, uh, and then we like added a couple tags, and it was he just goes up. And he's like, so he's wearing like a green blazer with like this white collar shirt, and he's very thin. He's a black guy. And he's like, Yeah, I know what I look like. He's like, I look like. <laughs> he's like <laughs> he's like, I look like I played Quidditch at a historically black college, <laughs> and it just. Murders. <laughs> he's like yeah we're team sickle cell no but we're the good guys we're playing team huxtable later so and like it was just like but those little finesses you know that's what makes things good you know man those moments of magic yeah too right uh absolutely man, yeah we talked about comedy yeah man jiu-jitsu yeah. Lots of other things about life. Yeah, we've covered some bases. Yeah, this has got to be one of my like longer podcasts too. Oh, it doesn't surprise that's, that's, I drank a lot of coffee before I got here, so I appreciate, uh, appreciate you letting me ramble. <laughs> oh, heck yeah, man. Um, but I want to talk about your next step because yeah. you know, we were trying to make this happen for years. Oh, I know. And then I saw you had a, a blog post on your site. Oh, by the way, josephcoker.net. Oh, yeah. People listening. But you had a post and you post on your social media that you were that you're moving in Charleston. Sure am. Yeah. Uh, so you're heading to my old stomping ground up in New York. Yep. Um, what's next? And and is there anything you want to say? One, because I'm sure there will be people in Charleston listening to this. So I think you want to say to them, but then also next, going into the future, got some family and friends in New York listening to this. If you want to um, say something to them as well. Yeah. Um, start with or start with Charleston or start with whatever. Yeah, I I think, I mean, on a personal level, like um, if you owe me money, now's the time to pay me back. No, I'm <laughs> Nobody owes me money. <laughs> no, um, I'm I'm just so grateful. 
I'm so grateful for um, all the people that have made me who I am. And that includes people that don't like me. You know, that includes people that um, see me as a problem. But like uh, every person is complex and I'm complex. I try not to be like I, I want a truce with everybody in my life. I want everything to be okay so I can go into this uncertain time in my life with, with a clear head. But I think that's just how I feel. I'm, I'm so thankful for the people that love me and anyone who's ever given their time to me and anyone who's ever um, just put any words into my life. You know, that like, because it's just that composite thing. I have so many people in my life right now that love me. And, and like, I'm, I'm, everybody's like, attitude of gratitude. I'm not like that. I, I, I'm, I'm, not that I'm not grateful, I'm just so focused on trying to do better. That me thinking around like, well, I guess 800 bucks is a lot compared to 900. I'm like, no, fuck that. I, I, I can't think like that. I just not, it doesn't work for me. But sometimes it hits me. And leaving, it's been hitting me a lot. Like, I, I'm so grateful for my little jujitsu babies. I'm so grateful for my comedy friends. I'm so grateful for, like, just all the people that I've known and, like, relationships or in romantic relationships and people that have, like, ups and downs with me and seeing me through it in my family. And, and I'm just, I, I'm so thankful for that. Um, and also like me leaving is 100% about me. It's not about, uh, it doesn't, it's not, I'm not moving away from somebody or, you know, it, it's really me just realizing that I can't, I can't settle down until I try this. And I know that about myself. Like I've had friends be like, we will build a jujitsu school on East Montague for you right now. If you, commit to it and um, I'm like no I don't, I, I don't want that I would feel buried under it um, because I, I know that there's this restless part of me that needs to try this you know um, so that's uh, that's so I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I have finally made my life to where my external life is matching my inside awareness I know I'm supposed to leave and however anyone feels about that is their thing but like I know I'm supposed to go and my, my hope is that I just don't get pushed in front of a train on day two. <laughs> like, that's what I'm hoping doesn't happen. So life is finally starting to get kind of good. Just and, watch those yellow lines. Yeah, I'll try, man. I'll try. I'll be on my phone. Like, oh, no. <laughs> no, I, uh, honestly, my, my hope is that um, I have my whole life I've been told I was like in artistic worlds that I had something. And I was special, and I thought I understood it, and I don't think I ever did. I used to think it was music or religion, and and then now I'm doing comedy, and I fully expect it to change again. I fully expect to go to New York and be like, comedy was closer, but it wasn't the thing. And so, whatever is the thing, and and to kind of wrap, to bring it full circle, what I'm going there for is to find my flow. Like with songwriting, I found my flow. I was. I became so certain of what I was doing that you could put me in a room with literally anybody. I don't care if they were famous or not. And I know that like you might be better than me in a hundred areas, but I know I have this and no one can take it from me. And the reason why I knew that is because I suffered for this and I put in a lot of time and it's mine and it works and I can use it. And with comedy, it still feels like a magic trick that doesn't work on everybody. <laughs> It still feels like some people are like, oh my God, the rabbit came out of the hat. And other people are like, ah, the rabbit was in your jacket, wasn't it? And comedy is always like that because it's hard. But I want to feel, I want to find that flow. And I want to either find it in comedy or I'll move laterally and go into something else. Maybe I'll focus on writing or whatever. 
but I want to be an artist before I die. And that is my sole ambition. And that is the only reason I'm going there. I, I'm not charmed by New York in any way. Like I, my mom lived in New York. My brother lived in New York. I, like, I don't like, like the noise of it. I have no, I hate friends, the show. I just don't have any nostalgia about New York at all. I would only want to live in New York if I was rich <laughs> or I always said that I live in New York if I was rich or I live in New York if I had a reason to. And now I have a reason to. So here we are. It's all beautiful, man. Are you, you're heading to Manhattan or do you have any set plans on where? I'm going to live on my friend Judy's couch for a month. As, okay. as a, it's a, she's like, come stay with me. You can stay in the bedroom. I'll sleep on the couch. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'll sleep on the couch and I'll figure it out from there. And then I'm um, going to try to find work somewhere. I have some Airbnbs down here, so I'll live from that income, which is something I've been working on for seven years, trying to build a life that I can be my own sugar daddy. <laughs> basically. Well, sustainability. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, and I think every artist needs to be that way. Mm-hmm. Is like trying to live from your art is insane to me. It's hard. It's yeah. Life, yeah. Yes, but it's cool if you can, but it's just insane. It's better to just make your money in like a money way, and then do your art in an art way. You know, like in the beginning. So you can continue doing your art. Yeah, you don't have to compromise, and yeah. I don't have to take crap from anybody. I'm not gonna do a bunch of bringer shows, or you know what I mean, like, or like, or like have to like be nice to this guy. See my like, no, I got money already, so you can't you can't bully me over fifty dollars. You know, <laughs> you know. Well, you can say it now. Is there anything else for the people in New York? <laughs> you want to say something? Anything that you need? You know, extra pillows. I need a job. I need a job, yes. New York. Bring me, bring me a cool job, an Airbnb co-hosting job, or just a, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to be a professional cuddler. <laughs> no, I mean, I've, I've looked in every direction. I looked at being, like, working at the Danish consulate because I speak Danish, and I've never got to use it. I, I've only done acid once in my life, and when I did acid, one of the things I kept saying was that I am a master of things that eventually don't work out. Like, I speak fluent Danish. It has never mattered. Um, I was a like a professional balloon artist for a while. It has never mattered. Wow. I, you know, like I have a black belt in karate. It has never come up again ever. You know what I mean? Like I have, I have probably like eight things. Like I was like the best harmonica player that I knew in Copenhagen at one point. You know, and like that's just because there wasn't that many harmonica players too. It's a small country, <laughs> but also I was really, really good. But it has never come up. And I, I guess I don't know. I would like. I would like some, uh, I would love to see the pieces come together in New York. That would be cool. I'm putting that out there, man. Yeah. I really think they will. I think so, too. Yeah, and just on a personal level, too, man. It's been great getting to uh, sort of work with you the last couple of years. Yeah, man, I'm always happy when I see you coming out. I, I feel like you have. You always have a good um, atmosphere, too. So, yeah, I hope I hope, I hope you find, keep finding your way with things, too. Appreciate you know? that, brother. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'll see you out in New York, too. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Please, please come to a show where it looks like I'm doing good. So, yeah. no, no, man. Oh, that's right. And a couple of shows you got coming up. I'm going to try to drop this yes. soon. Yes, please. Yeah, quick? yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, this never happens, but all the shows I'm on this weekend are sold out. I'm, I'm doing – I'm closing out the Charleston Comedy Festival stand-up showcase at the Commodore. We're doing two shows, Friday and Saturday night. I think one, Friday has one ticket left, so good luck. Um, that's awesome. And then, so Friday night at the Commodore, Saturday night at the Commodore, and then Sunday, um, Jenny Bro, uh, the, the dance instructor and just amazing creative person, uh, she is putting on this speakeasy vibe, uh, at the Commodore and there's two shows. There's a six and eight 30. There, there are tickets for that, but it's standing room only. Um, cause Jenny's insane. I don't, I don't know how you sell something like she's just, she's a G. 
Um, and she's amazing. So I, I'm going to be doing five minutes on that, and it's like a, it's supposed to be a 1920s. I think I'm going to bomb, but because like, wow. there's going to be a bunch of people that are there to see like sexy burlesque, and then I'm going to be like my dick, my dick, whatever. <laughs> and then, um, but then after that, those are going to be great shows, and you should come to them. But after that, uh, Charleston Sports Pub Comedy Night, um, January 24th at Charleston Sports Pub. Uh, it's Friday, the January 24th at eight o'clock. I'm there with uh, Bill Davis. And uh, Josh Bates and me. So I think I'm headlining. So how about that? That's going to be me yelling at a bar crowd. Uh, but it should be funny. So if you haven't seen me, come see me there. It's beautiful, man. Yeah, follow me on Instagram. I think it's I am Joseph Coker. I'll throw that out there. Yeah. Let me check. Let me, yeah, let me double check. Are you going to be posting your shows and everything? Or do you have any lined oh, up in New York? I have nothing lined up in New York because I, I, out there, I, you guys. I, yeah, I am Joseph Coker. I mean, the thing is, I know people in New York, but I will mm. die before I ask them to be like, you know, like you want to, you got to earn your way, you know? Yeah. But it's just the opportunities, right? the spots and all the places that you'll be able to be. I think, I think I'll get some little spots, but God, I just hope I don't like bomb day one. Uh, <laughs> or you know what? Then you go day two. That's right. That, you know, that's, that's exactly correct. Yeah. Yeah. Right on, man. Appreciate you coming out, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks everybody.